Every work team has moments of conflict and dysfunction. Sometimes productive conflict is a necessary part of wrestling through big ideas to get to the best possible outcome. But sometimes our teams become mired in conflict that is entirely avoidable because it's based in vastly different communication styles or different motivations and misunderstandings. Enter the Enneagram. The Enneagram offers not only self-awareness, but also curiosity and deeper understanding of others. I teach the Enneagram and consult with teams to improve their communication styles, conflict effectiveness, and self-leadership, all of which foster highly engaged and high-performing teams. During a recent team event, I heard over and over, this just makes so much sense when they looked around the room and saw who was fitting within each type. And now I know why this person asked so many questions or this depersonalizes some of the conflict we've been having because I can tell we're just coming from different perspectives. So now that we know where we are, we can see how we can get aligned. So if you're looking for ongoing support or simply considering an engaging introspective module for your team's offsite or event, let's talk. Reach out to the Nine Types team at hello at ninetypes.co or schedule a one-on-one consultation with me on my website, ninetypes.co. And now on to the show. Hello and welcome back to Enneagram in Real Life, a podcast that will help you go beyond Enneagram theory into practical understanding so that you can apply the Enneagram in your day-to-day life. I'm your host, Steph Baron Hall, creator of Nine Types Co. on Instagram, author of the Enneagram in Love, accredited Enneagram professional, and any curious human just like you. Be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to apply the Enneagram in your daily life. Thanks so much for listening and now on to the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Enneagram IRL podcast. Today we have another great conversation and I am really excited for you to hear this one because our guest today is like me and Enneagram three. We are different subtypes, um, which, you know, we talk about a little bit within the podcast, but um, it's just a really great kind of reflection of some of the ways that threes are often misunderstood and some of the ways that threes can really tap into finding what they really want in their lives and and not what seems successful to other people, but what they truly want and, and feeling really guided by that. So throughout this episode, we talk about a lot of different things around therapy, around the Enneagram, how, how our guest today became a therapist, all of these great things. So without jumping too far ahead of myself, I do want to just introduce our guest and so that we can jump right into the episode because I know that she has a lot of great things to share. Today's guest is Kimberly Reese Sherman, a licensed therapist, an expert on black agency and a certified Enneagram coach based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Kimberly has been in practice for 13 years, working in community-based agencies, health and nonprofit sectors. Growing and developing her group practice, the Reese Collective has been her focus for the last five years. And leading a private practice has really afforded her the opportunity to expand her work to include community engagement opportunities, specifically pertaining to the intersection of mental health and the Black church, self-care for POC in corporate spaces, and increasing access to trauma-informed treatment models for people of color. 
Through her line of work, she uses her forward-thinking faith and love for the art of therapy to cultivate safe and transformational environments for each of her clients. Kimberly is described as purposeful, tenacious, dedicated to, and blessed by this work. And I think that's actually a really fantastic description of Kim. So we're going to get into the episode today, but I do just want to share with you where you can find more from Kim. If you listened to last week's podcast, you heard about the Enneagram for the Culture podcast, and Kim is also a co-host of that podcast along with Camille, last week's guest. So they are two therapists. They work on the podcast together, and it's just a really great show. So I highly recommend it. You can also find her on Instagram at LCSW. Enneagram for the Culture, which is the podcast Instagram, and Melanated Enneagram. So I will put all of those links in the show notes for you, but I am just really anxious for you to hear from Kim and hear her perspective and in all of the brilliance and wisdom that she brings to this work. So without further ado, here's Kim. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about subtypes. Now, subtypes have been transformational in my own Enneagram journey, and they've also been so incredibly helpful for my clients and my course students and even some of the teams that I've worked with. So with that said, I want you to head over to the show notes or go to ninetypes.co slash subtypes and download my free subtype guide. You'll get a breakdown of what the whole word means, the entire concept, all 27 subtypes, and you will unlock this new understanding of yourself and the people around you, and you'll have a new way to apply the Enneagram in your daily life. So again, head to ninetypes.co slash subtypes, or check out that link in the show notes to learn more. Enjoy. Well, Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. Wait, I forgot to ask you, do you go by Kim or Kimberly? I go by either, but we can do we can do Kim because I'm going to do stuff and that just feels better. So yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> well, welcome, Kim. <laughs> welcome Thank to the podcast. So excited to have you on Enneagram IRL. And it's been really fun to listen to your podcast, Enneagram for the Culture. And I've really been loving that. And of course, by now, you know, we know that I had your podcast co-host um, mm-hmm. on the podcast already. And so we were able to record and I will tell you what I told her, which is that I want everyone to go listen to all my guests, like their podcasts and everything. And so I'm like, don't even listen to my podcast, go listen to theirs. But no, um, one thing I love about your podcast episodes is like how you have been going through in season one, just going through the types and really getting below the stereotypes and all that kind of stuff. Um, So that's been really awesome. And I'm curious to hear from your perspective how that has gone for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's mostly been, it's most honestly, it's mostly been really, really, really exciting and really, really, really fulfilling. Um, So you mentioned Camille and y'all have heard from Camille. And so Camille, I feel like always sets the bar high because she's just, a joy, high energy, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful co-worker, co-host. And we're friends. We're really good friends. We started off as friends. So, um, you know, she introduced me to the Enneagram. We talk about this on the podcast when we share about our origin stories. And when she brought it to me, you know, can get into that. I know that's a, you know, that's one of the questions you were going to ask me anyway. But essentially, we got to the point to where I was like, Camille, 
we have such great conversations about the Enneagram. We have such great conversations about um, what's missing um, in conversations about the Enneagram. Just like when we just talk as friends, we need to like put this out in the world. Like people could potentially learn from this. Um, we know what we're talking about. We're both therapists. We're both very, very, very um, well informed in the Enneagram. And so initially she was resistant and she didn't, think that you know something that we could do so to go from that um obviously eventually she got on board to it being out there and being everything I saw that it could be and potentially more um it's been it's just it's been so 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 fulfilling yeah yeah that's really cool um and I am curious to hear more about your process, like learning the Enneagram and like, how did you get into it? Like, was Camille just like, Hey, check this out. Or what was that conversation like? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. So she, um, in one of our talks, like, so we would just, you know, uh, she and I started working together doing community-based mental health, um, in Raleigh. And those were fun times. That was really hard work. Um, and we were, um, we just connected and we've stayed connected over the years. And so one of those connections is through our work as clinicians. And so, um, you know, we would just talk about tools that we're using, um, trainings that we were going to. And one day she said, hey, you should take, check out the Enneagram. Um, it's something that you'll probably like to use with your clients. And maybe you'll be into it, too. <clears throat> and I said, OK. So I checked it out. And she sent me the, a test to take, um, which was just a paragraph test. And I uh, read the description of all the types. And so landed on my type and mm-hmm. was like, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. No. And never looked, didn't look at it again for a year. Um, didn't even, didn't follow up with her about it. <laughs> just, just, was just like, nope. No. So a year later, um, after, you know, doing some more work personally and getting to a place to where I wanted to be intentional about doing some more work personally um, and professionally, uh, I circled back around to it and um, took the test again, uh, landed on the same type. And I was like, okay, Um, and just tried to be more open, pay more attention and I was like, wow. Mm. So um, that was my experience personally. Um, and then I did. I started to integrate it into the work that I was doing with clients as a clinician. And so um, so as a therapist, most of my clients are, um, are Black and they're Black women. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a few clients who are white. Um, but most of my Black clients knew nothing about this tool. Um, mm-hmm my white clients pretty much always did. Um, and so that was just, um, you know, uh, introduction to this whole dynamic of there not being much representation for people of color when it comes to this system and being able to have access to it in a way that resonates with us. Um, that includes our experiences and our narratives. So um, it was cool to get to use it with clients. Really, really cool. Really, really cool. Um, and so with that, um, I was just inspired to want to get certified in it. So um, I think that was kind of at the onset of, of COVID. 
Um, and so I went through your Enneagram coach to get that certification. Um, and that was mostly because I wanted to be able to say I had a certification. Um, uh, I felt like, you know, this is something I'm going to be using on an ongoing basis. Um, so I knew that there was this commitment to learning from it for, you know, as forever at this point. Um, but the certification, I really wanted to solidify that, you know, this is something that I'm very serious about um, from a professional standpoint. And that was also when I started the Melanated Enneagram. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. That point about the certification thing, I think is so fascinating. I feel like that is such a three thing. And you can tell me what you think from your perspective. Um, But I remember early on in my Enneagram process, I wanted, I was like, I need a certification. And people did ask. And I know eights who are like, I don't have one and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a three, I was like, oh, yep, I'm going to go get my certification. And I also did YEC initially because it was the only one online. Yeah. At the time. Yep. And now, you know, I've, this is very three as well. I'm in my third certification program, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, because of the pandemic, like so many of those opportunities have moved virtual, which has been mm-hmm. really, really cool. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Um, yeah, that's kind of why I threw it in there. Um, yeah. because I totally recognize that that is what that was about largely for me was that I needed and wanted something that said, I know (laughs) what I'm talking about, even though with this, like you're always learning from it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I definitely think that's a three thing and have also been looking at some additional, um, certifications as well. So thanks for, thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've, I've really loved the ones that are more about the inner work processes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been really groundbreaking for me. Awesome. And also, I wanted to ask you because <clears throat> that initial reaction to the test, like you took, you did the paragraph one. So the, is that the David Daniels one? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, the yellow, in the yellow book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and oh, for those listening, I will link the book. It's called uh, The Essential Enneagram. Yes, that sounds right. I believe I'm pulling it off my bookshelf as we speak. Yep. The essential Enneagram. And it's like a little yellow booklet. And it's actually one that um, I really like. It doesn't go into subtypes, but I, I do really like it overall. Um, okay. That caveat aside, what was that moment for you mm-hmm. where you were like, nope, this, I'm going to put this down. What was that about? Um, it mostly what I remember, it, it was the deceit part. So reading that, I was like, no, like I, I detest deceit. Like I cannot stand, like it is, there's just no way that there's somehow like, this is an issue for me. Um, that's what I recall really being very, very hard for me to grapple with. Um, but when I was able to come back around and be more open, I was able to understand how that shows up and that it doesn't mean that as a three, we have a tendency to walk around intentionally lying to people Um, that because of our preoccupation with image, when we're what I love Chi Chi's um, language, when we're armored up, right. Um, Is that we can tend to not be real with ourselves. Um, And that is not something that we're doing intentionally. Like it's totally, um, we're totally, we can be totally blind to it. 
So after I was able to understand that, it was actually quite a relief and it's been really helpful um, and essential to my, my growth since. But initially, I remember it being that. I also didn't really resonate with the, this notion of being a performer at all. I didn't like that. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel that. Um, and, and so the rest of these things are true, uh, for sure. True. Like I didn't like the idea of being a workaholic. I didn't like the idea of, um, struggling with, yeah, image definitely didn't like that. I didn't like the idea of being seen as somebody who, um, needed to accomplish but it's it can all be very very true yeah yeah well and I think for me what has been so helpful is seeing the passion as really self-deceit of like that belief like what you're describing like I am what I do or I am the image that I present to others and when we deceive ourselves in that way, then it's like, oh, I can totally see how this is running the show, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So that was my visceral uh, response to me landed on my type at first. Yeah. Do you think your subtype had anything to do with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So my subtype, I'm self-preservation. Um, and so... Um, what I've learned about subtypes and specifically um, the self-preservation subtype in the context of the three. So it's the counter type. Um, so it makes sense that there were parts that I was reading about that really didn't resonate with me because that's how counter types can work. You know, it can look very counter to what the the type can appear to be. Um, yeah. So to for example, to be presented as someone who loves the spotlight. I, I don't feel like that's me at all. I'm very, very uncomfortable in the spotlight. Um, to be someone who um, really, you know, kind of gets off on um, getting uh, praise, etc. Like you were mentioning, I much rather shine the light on somebody else. Like that's mm-hmm. where I really get um, get pumped up. And so there was some stuff I was reading about. It just didn't, didn't resonate with me, but I learned later that after learning about my, um, my subtype, that that was why. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's why I love subtypes so much. They can be so clarifying. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we don't have them and in our descriptions, I think that of course, I mean, on Instagram, like we couldn't possibly like, for every single post do all three subtypes. But, you know, when we don't have them, I think that people get mistyped a lot. Like, oh, yeah. I see that so often. Um, and I'm really curious if, well, I'm, I'm curious, like what made you want to be a therapist? Okay. And then how your type kind of shows up in that realm. Oh, Okay. Um, I just realized I don't have any tissue around. So I, um, what made me want to be a therapist? I've known I've wanted to be a therapist since I was like 12. Um, honestly, I saw The Sixth Sense. Do you remember that movie? Yes. I've never seen it though. Oh gosh. Okay. It's with Bruce Willis. Um, and he is a psychologist, um, for children. And he has this client who... Um, can see ghosts. That's synopsis of the movie. 
And so I saw this movie and saw what he did and saw what he was for this child who was, I mean, it was a scary movie. It was a very scary situation. Um, And I was just like, I was really inspired by it. Um, I grew up with parents who were very intentional about teaching me about my history, um, about teaching me about um, their experience as Black people in this country and potentially what I should be prepared for as a Black woman in this country. Um, And so with that lens, I just saw a lot in my community and in my people um, that led me to feel that I really wanted to help Black people heal, that that's what I wanted to do with my life um, and heal in the sense of emotional healing. I noticed that it was just something that was not talked about in the Black community. Um, So when I decided I want to go the social work route and become a therapist and told my parents, um, my dad, bless his heart, um, said, well, Black people are not going to come talk to you because Black people don't talk to therapists. Black people go to church and they pray it away. And that pretty much was um, a very good synopsis of of what my experience was as far as Black people's um, perspective on therapy and why it just some of the barriers um, that kept Black people from pursuing therapy and pursuing that as an opportunity to heal from things that I felt and learned we really deserve to heal from, um, given our experience in this country. So, um, so that's how I decided to be a therapist. So I knew at 12 and then it was just a matter of knowing what route I was going to go. And I figured that out in undergrad. I thought I was going to do psychology. I took an intro to psychology course and it was really cool, but I felt like it didn't, it missed stuff um, for me. And that stuff was very much captured when I took an intro to social work course. And I learned that I could get my license as a social worker and be a therapist. And so um, that's what I did. Um, I mentioned community-based mental health. That was um, my experience for a while. So essentially that's where we as clinicians are in the communities, in the clients' homes. Um, Those services are typically funded by um, Medicaid. So these are um, low-income families that are really impacted by a lot of um, systemic issues. Um, Really, really hard work. great opportunity for learning um, because it set me up to be able to handle pretty much anything that came my way in private practice, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me too, because of the like systemic perspective that social work takes versus psychology, which is very individual based. Um, Not like I would, I mean, I'm not saying that psychologists or people trained in that perspective can't have that um, more systemic lens, but social work you're trained yeah yeah it's more so and just the fundamental like just the the school is more birthed in that than um than than psychology in comparison Mm -hmm. but um we need all of we need all of us um all of us um because even still you know there's there's not enough of of representation even as clinicians um for people of color so Yeah, well, and I can imagine why, like, what your dad said about, you know, well, Black people are not going to come to you. I I wonder if there's also a 
a layer of that where it's like when black people go to therapy and the clinician is white and they just feel totally missed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it has been so empowering and he has since, you know, my parents are amazing. My dad is also a three. Um, and so they've been, they're so proud of me. They're so supportive. Um, and he is, he, he does, he just marvels at how different things are now in comparison to then, how just how much more normal it is to talk about therapy. Um, but absolutely. Um, and so it's been so encouraging to have the experience of being a Black therapist who sees mostly Black clients. And, you know, I have two clinicians that work with me who worked with me doing some community-based mental health. They're Black. Most of their clients are Black we're full, you know, on a wait list, like to feel that th- we there is a need. Um, it so inspires other ways to really take up space um, because it just affirms that, you know, we know that representation really does matter. It is important to talk to someone in this space that you feel can see you, um, can understand your experience. That's important. And it's important for Black people to know that that's important because there can be some shame in that. Um, I've had a lot of clients, you know, on a phone console, um, just kind of whisper, I'm so glad that you're Black. I was worried that, you know, I wouldn't be able to find anyone. And I'm like, no, yeah. And you don't have to whisper about that. It's okay for us to be excited about this. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I think that about a lot of the different like social identifiers that we use, I mean, it's not like you have to find somebody who exactly like lines up with your social identifiers, right? But like knowing that that person has some understanding and can have some deeper empathy, like in the sense, like not only do I care that you feel this, but I have felt it too. And I know what it's like. And like, you don't have to explain what that experience was like for you. Yes, that's (laughs) what I hear. Um, So I have clients who've worked with therapists who or not black and then have had the experience of working with me and attest to the, the difference, um, you know, things that they, you just don't have to explain um, mm-hmm. or things that you don't like, you just have to go back and re-explain. And definitely um, that can be really hurtful um, and, yeah. and, and not intentional on the clinician's part, um, but to, to, to dismiss um, mm-hmm. experiences that we have out of oftentimes ignorance, um, because as a, yeah. as a centered person or a white person, you don't, you haven't been in those positions or you haven't, you're privileged, you know, you don't have to mm-hmm. have those experiences. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to then be working with some, someone who, you know, who gets it, um, it feels, it feels, it feels really good. Um, yeah. My therapist, I was intentional about wanting to find a black woman for, for um, as mm-hmm. my therapist. And so um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I just, I, I really, it means a lot. It really does. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm like, hope that there are a lot of people listening in North Carolina that can get on your wait list. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, um, therapist because we need more people <laughs> to help yeah. um yeah. it's uh, you want to become therapists yeah yes yeah yeah those people too we reach out if you're a clinician mm-hmm. and you're looking to work please reach out yeah mm-hmm. man that makes me like really excited about 
your podcast because I can just imagine people like like young people listening to that podcast and be like, oh, I can be a therapist and like this could be awesome and like getting oh. inspired. So I hope that that is happening. Gosh, yeah. On that I level. hadn't even thought about. I had thought about, uh, well, yeah, people listening and just feeling like, okay, so the Enneagram can be a thing for Black people. Um, <laughs> but the therapist part, um, I love the thought of that. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I am really curious because one of the stereotypes of the self-preservation three in particular um, is about like having less connection to emotion. And Mm -hmm. threes are obviously heart types, um, but we tend to be real busy and we tend to not really pay attention to the emotional side. I think I, well, I think that for me, my subtype is the more emotional one, but also I that's the piece that's been easiest for me to work on. So that's the thing I've been working on the most. There are other things I need to get to. Um, (laughs) But obviously, like, I'm really curious how that shows up for you with in your day to day life. Um, As a therapist, like you have to have that emotional depth and and all the training that you've gone through. And I know with the LCSW certification, there is a lot of, you know, supervision and all that kind of stuff that you have Mm -hmm. to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, on the front end too. So I'm just curious, like how that plays out and, and how that connection to emotion exists for you and, and that kind of thing. Oh, um, I have always known that I am an emotionally sensitive person. Mm-hmm. I've always mm-hmm. known that I've always felt that. And going back to, um, this notion of, <clears throat> armor um and some of our experiences especially as black people mm-hmm. i felt like i got messaging surrounding my sensitivity and that i needed to um figure it out <laughs> like i was going to be in situations and spaces where the expectations were going to be um low and i needed to exceed them and so um so a little context um I was in predominantly white spaces as far as like education up through high school. Um, my high school was all black. Um, and then college, undergrad and grad school, I went to PWIs, predominantly white schools. So um, that was kind of where uh, my parents mostly were coming from and them kind of w- cautioning me and trying to prepare me for the types of spaces I was going to occupy and kind of what my mindset needed to be in order for me to be successful. Um, And so with that, there wasn't a lot of time for emotions. There wasn't a lot of space Mm -hmm. for emotions. You aren't like, you aren't going to have a lot of time to feel. Um, So you need to figure out how to suck it up Um, Mm -hmm. and not let them see you sweat was also also oftentimes a, um, a, a message I got. So um, grappling with that, like knowing that I was very sensitive, knowing that I was feeling a lot, um, especially in some of those spaces and situations. Um, there were times where I was bullied and picked on and it was about features um, and they were by white students. And it really, really hurt my feelings. And mm-hmm. there wasn't time to feel. You needed to suck it up, keep going. Um, don't let them see you sweat. So grappling with that. 
was hard and has been hard and has been very impactful for me um, just throughout my development and throughout my life. And so um, it's interesting to kind of have all of that going on, knowing again at a young age what I'm feeling a a call to do um, as far as, you know, professionally for the rest of my life um, is because I want people to like be able to feel um, that was my whole thing. I, I knew and sensed that through feeling we could heal. Um, if we could allow ourselves to connect with the hurt and the anger and the uh, fear and the disappointment, all of that that we can experience on a day-to-day basis in response to racism um, and classism and sexism, um, that if we can allow ourselves to feel, then we can heal through that. If we keep telling ourselves that we don't have time to feel and keep trying to brush it under the rug and say, we, you know, don't go to therapy, like it's just going to perpetuate some of these patterns. So, um, so I think it very much played into, again, why I ended up doing the work that I'm doing. Um, and I think that's how it shows up in the work that I do on a day-to-day basis. I'm so passionate about it. So when I'm sitting in front of my clients and we're dealing with emotions, like, I love it. I love it. Um, I use the feelings wheel every day. Some of my clients will roll their eyes. Some of my clients now have it saved in their phone and they're like, I have it and I'm ready for it. Some clients ask for it when they know that they um, are having some feelings and they're having a hard time identifying it. Um, It's very, very, very important to the work that I do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah. And I love that perspective too, because I think something you said is really interesting, which is that sense of sensitivity that you've always had and like that emotional sensitivity. I find that... and. I will say, I think that this is true of a lot of like threes who haven't really done a lot of this work or, or keep themselves very busy. Um, but I find that a lot of the stereotypes about threes are like that they don't feel or that they don't care. Um, even though we know that they're heart types, right? We know that they're in the heart center. Um, but the more I talk to threes and, and I mean, this has been my experience myself is that it feels like the emotions are just right under the surface. Oh, yeah. Um, and there is a lot more sensitivity than we typically let on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, my experience, you know, as a human, um, but also as a as a as a black woman, um, some of that has been, well, you know, you won't you won't have time to you won't have time to do that if you want to make it in this world. If you want to make if you want to be successful as a black person in this world, you won't you gotta you know you're gonna have to work so much harder already. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to let yourself feel, and you really don't have time to let them see um, those mm-hmm. feelings, especially if they're getting to you. That is what has kind of fed into that, and that is what. I felt was very much missing when I was learning about my type, um, you know, being able to incorporate those types of experiences for us at black, as black people um, that goes into or can drive some of, um, you know, the ways, again, we, we protect ourselves or we put on that armor in the form of our dominant type structure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was, it felt, it just feels important to include that in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think, the image thing comes up in the self-preservation three? Um, I think we tend to think we don't have the issue. Um, I tend Mm. to think that we were vain about not having that issue. Vain about not being vain. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and not realizing maybe that it's a stronger driving force. 
than it you realize. Was, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. And so I never thought that I, going back to some of the things that initially I've struggled with, like accepting when I learned about um, threes, I never thought that fear of failure was a thing for me. I never really thought fear. I wasn't sure what I was afraid of. I knew I didn't like snakes. <laughs> and I knew <laughs> that the thought of not having um, my loved ones in my life, that that was really, really, really scary for me. But anything else I really didn't, couldn't, when anytime anyone would ask me about fear, I couldn't really name anything. And then I started learning about um, this and started paying more attention to myself and realized that like the idea of, um, yeah, like not like a failing at something, mm-hmm. it was much more impactful to me um, than I ever realized. And so for me, that I think is kind of how that so much of that is driven by image. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that for me, that's how I wasn't aware of it, um, Mm -hmm. was realizing that it, it is important to me, um, to be seen as, um, someone who people can admire, um, you know, to be able to, to accept that and realize at times that that's the case for me. Um, and that that's very much an image driven thing because who are you and how do you feel when that's not the case, Mm -hmm. you know, when you aren't being admired, what's there. Um, and, and that moment where it's just like, what is, what is there? (laughs) Um, it just really made it clear, you know, where I needed to pay attention and where I needed to, to do some work and be graceful Mm -hmm. and loving and attentive with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always am curious. I actually was doing a typing interview recently and had this conversation about threes and failure because they're like, well, I don't really fail at things. And I think that for a lot of threes, that is true. Mm -hmm. Not only because we do tend to put in the work, but also because we don't tend to do things that we're not good at. Right. (laughs) You know, and we set ourselves up to always succeed. But I'm like, what are we missing? You know, what else in life could we be missing here? Yeah, totally. It's totally, I laugh. Um, I don't, and and again, I don't, I didn't realize this until um, I knew I was three, a three and was open to learning about it. That's why I don't like the ball. Um, That's why I don't like miniature golf. There's so many things that I've always just like, (laughs) when people people ask me if I want, oh my gosh, when people ask me if I want to do it, I would just get so irritated, but I didn't know why, you know, and I wanted to hang out, but I just didn't want to, I don't like game night sometimes because depending on who I'm paired up with, if, you know, if we're not going to be on it, like it's going to be anxiety provoking for me. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose. So um, yes, but it was so helpful to realize that that was what that was because I didn't, I I was not paying attention or I was blind to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I laugh so hard because it, it reminded me of your story about mini golf Oh, on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah. That was at top golf. So driving range, little different, um, little different, but also, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to do that because I didn't feel very confident about it going into it. And I did kill it in the end. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) well, it kind of made me think of this thing. So my neighbors 
like asked us to play softball with them, mm. um, like in a league. And they both played growing up, like they played in college or whatever. So like softball, baseball, you know. So the league that we're in is competitive. So I said, sure, like sounds fun. And we moved to this area like literally right before the pandemic. So we don't know anyone really. Um, so we're like, you know, we'll make friends, whatever. It'll be fine. Um, but it's been a thing where I've had to intentionally be like, it's okay if people see me suck at this. Yeah. Like it is going to be okay. Like I will survive. And that's kind of the, one of the things I've been learning. Like it's okay to suck at it a little bit, but also like, I'm also like, well, I don't want to let the team down. So I'm like, you know, yeah. running more. I was like, oh, I, I actually can't remember the last time I sprinted. And when, <laughs> when you, after you hit the ball, you're like, oh, that base is far away. Like I have to run. <laughs> and like, oh my gosh, I kept pulling muscles the first few weeks um, mm-hmm. because I hadn't sprinted in years, you know? And so I was like, oh gosh. Um, so it's just been really interesting like allowing people to see that and yeah. be like, Oh, I'm, I'm bad at this. And also trying really hard not to be like, not to make it a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to go into like, Oh, it's just fun. It's just a joke. And, and like caring enough to, you know, show up and, and have a good time, but also be like a little competitive with it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Go work. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's tough. I, and I, I really hope that people are inspired to go listen to the, it's in the type three episode, right? Of I'm not your sure. podcast, but we can link it. I'll make sure you have the, um, the right episode. It is. Um, oh, that killed me though. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to ask him about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we, cause that not doing things that we're not good at part. Mm-hmm. That was, I really didn't realize that it was even a thing before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I even, you know, think as I've been thinking about this, I'm like, oh, I could see how I chose a different sport from my older sister when I was a kid. So I didn't have to compete with her, you know? Um, So mm-hmm. I could choose a sport that I would be really dominant in. And, you know, I did never have to compete with her in her sport, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. Um. We're just interesting. We are. We are. Um, I love basketball. I love, 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 love basketball. And I played basketball um, middle school, high school. Uh, my freshman year, I made the varsity team and did not even try out, try out for JV. And I was so afraid that I was going to look like I did not know what I was doing, that I, I did not play and I never played again. Um, now I'll just play, like I'll shoot around. And when I do it, there's like, you know, there's a part of me that does that grieves like, girl, why didn't you stick with it? Cause you really are good. You really are good. I am. Um, but that even then, you know, um, and not having the, for the longest, I told myself that I didn't play because, um, I wasn't disciplined enough cause I didn't want to show up for practice. And that was not the truth. So going back to the self deceit. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was yeah. telling myself and therefore telling people. But it's really what I believe to be the truth. But the truth mm-hmm. is, I didn't want to be I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to take the risk of like learning how to get better at something that I was already 
obviously pretty good at um, yeah. and what that would look like to people. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to take that risk, so I didn't stick with it. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense. Like, we need these we need these like survival mechanisms. Yeah. <laughs> and you can look back on your younger self and be like, Oh, I have so much empathy for, yeah. for how she was showing up in the world. Um, and also sometimes I just want to go back and be like, Hey, you know what? You're going to be okay. Yeah, like you sure. can, you can try it. People can see you fail and you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think American Idol for me really did a number on me because I saw so many people go up there and think they were amazing and be awful, like not be able to carry it. Uh And I think for me, that made me be like, oh my gosh, that is, I could not imagine anything more embarrassing. I Mm. need to make sure I never do that. Mm. Mm. So I can only do things I'm like verified good at. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel like I couldn't even watch those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like those for those particular like tryouts like I couldn't I would have to change the channel or walk out of the room I remember it being like cringy to me so I feel you yeah yeah and not wanting to be in that like ever feel what we are feeling for them and they're but they're you know they're not they're feeling cool. that they have a confidence yeah. in the world which you know could be I mean it is inspiring you know they can get up there if they, yeah. Seth, if they can get up, some of those, if they can get up there in front of the whole world <laughs> and sing, like we can, there are things we that we, we can risk, you know, looking like we don't have it all together for. And yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the risk. Yeah. And the exposure too of like, I think for a lot of threes, I mean, I had a similar experience to you where it's like you read about the type and you're like, oh, it's so exposing. It's so, it's mortifying. Yeah. Yeah. Visceral reaction. I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I'm curious what you're working on now. I know your podcast, you're going to have season two, hopefully coming soon. I I actually don't know if that's been announced yet. So no, no, you're good. Yeah. Season two is coming soon. I think we did just post something about like wanting people to give us an idea of um, what they'd like to hear, but we did, we, had a successful um, trip to DC and um, kind of got a good idea of what we want to put together for the next season. So, um, so we have that. And then you mentioned the melanated Enneagram. So um, an- initially that was launched um, because as a clinician, um, I've already kind of touched on some of the limitations as far as impact. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I can work th- with clients one-on-one, um, and I can have other clinicians who are working with me to work with their clients one-on-one and maybe we can do some group therapy. But right now, if you are, um, you're limited to where you're licensed. Um, right. So there's just a number of, of, of limitations there. So I was hoping to find ways to still have um, an impact, um, but for it to be just larger. Um, so the one of the thoughts with Melanated Enneagram was courses um, coaching, um, uh, a community, uh, especially for, um, black people who are interested in using this tool, um, as a way to, um, understand how we, um, can slip into, um, performing or achieving or perfectionism, um, or, um, helping and giving, 
um, or mediating, like how all of that can show up for us, especially as black people and how to be aware of it in the spaces that we occupy. So um, working on a certification. <laughs> and so once that um, certification is, is completed, I'll be doing more coaching, which will be separate from what I'm doing as a therapist, totally separate, but it'll be under the Melanated Enneagram. So um, I have coaching, coaching sessions and courses um, coming within the next month or so. Ooh, that's so exciting. Yeah, oh my I'm gosh. really, really excited about it. So I think that those things will be available once uh, this comes out. So I will make sure to link that stuff and, cool, and thank you. put that up there. Amazing. I love it. Um, okay. Couple last questions. So these okay. are questions that I've asked everyone. Okay. And selfishly, I just, this first one, I love to read. And so I want your book recommendations, but, um, so tell me about a book that has helped you refresh you or shaped you in the last year. Yes. Okay. I have two. Um, one is the untethered soul. Have you heard of that one? Um, Mm -mm. It's a pretty, pretty popular book. It was actually a client who recommended it to, or mentioned it um, to me. The author is essentially talking about, um, it's by Michael Singer. It's the author's name. Um, He's talking about staying open. Um, Mm. And so going back to uh, some of what we were talking about as far as being threes and at times Mm -hmm. grappling with our relationships, um, with our emotions and with our heart. Um, the way he speaks about how staying open and choosing to stay open is an option. It was it was very much it was restorative for me and really changed um, my outlook, um, especially in a lot of um, what times can be like really painful or hard situations, challenging situations, choosing that mm-hmm. versus um, choosing to close up. So. Yeah. That paired with um, the 1619 Project, um, which mm-hmm. um, is a book pretty much about uh, critical race theory and having a better understanding of how um, slavery and racism um, has been just so incredibly um, impactful and influential to um, the birth of this country and how it can continue to show up and impact um, all of us, uh, but especially Black people. Um, and so therefore how it can be really challenging for us to stay open. Um, mm-hmm. so putting those two together, um, is just really, really, it's just been, they've been really, really helpful for me this year. Yeah. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. And I think, um, seeing that through line of like the softness and openness and how courageous that is, not only with you, but, you know, also with my interview with Camille and, um, Jessica Dixon, who was on the podcast, uh, I re- we recorded a little while ago, and just talking about that, like tapping into that level of vulnerability. Um, and I'm learning more and more about like how impactful that is and how revolutionary truly mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that perspective. I'm going to have to think about that a little more. Yeah, um, thank you. Cool. And then what is a piece of advice that has really stuck with you? Mm-hmm. This is a new one too, but man, it's been, um, it's been helpful and it is learn to take the L. Um, I, it's, 
just it's been a number of things that I've kind of um, had to come up against recently that's just felt like hits. Um, and it's felt like hits so much because it's felt it's it's triggered that belief of um, you're not succeeding, you're not um, doing enough. Um, sometimes maybe tapping into a sense of like, you know, value and worth. And so to be able to um, realize that none of that is the case, um, you know, you, you're taking an L. So, you know, it's a loss and you have to learn how to just take that so that you can get up. Um, shame is one of those things that will keep you down. So if something comes along and it knocks you out, um, if you slip into shaming yourself and falling for this belief that, um, your worth is tied to or hinged upon this thing having been successful, um, then you're going to stay knocked down. And so you have to quickly be able to recognize that so that you can put it in its place and and, and get back up. Um, because the work that I'm so passionate about doing and the life that I'm so passionate about pursuing um, is going to require that I get in the ring and at times get knocked down. So that was so, so, so helpful for me um, to just not get stuck sometimes when, again, it feels like Ugh, something's not working the way that I thought it was going to work or this goal that I have to move the date or any of that um, helped me to just be able to accept that, feel it, you know, but know that I don't have to hinge my, my worth and my value on it. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. So, so powerful. Okay. I think that all of our threes are going to love this conversation. Um, so I'm so grateful that you've joined me on this podcast and I hope everyone, you know, gets introduced to your podcast and your work if they, if they're not already. And, um, this has been lovely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love that you're so passionate about showcasing um, other people's work and, um, interested in learning about the purpose behind their work. You, I mean, obviously like I, that means a lot. So um, thanks for having both Camille and I on, on the show and, and giving us some space to talk about the work that we're doing. And thanks for the work that you're doing. Of course. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to Enneagram IRL. If you loved the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. This is the easiest way to make sure new people find the show. And it's so helpful for a new podcast like this one. If you want to stay connected, sign up for my email list in the show notes or message me on Instagram at nine types co to tell me your one big takeaway from today's show. I'd love to hear from you. I know there are a million podcasts you could have been listening to, and I feel so grateful that you chose to spend this time with me. Can't wait to meet you right back here for another episode of Enneagram IRL very soon. The Enneagram in Real Life podcast is a production of Nine Types Co. LLC. It's created and produced by Stephanie Baron Hall with editing support from Brandon Hall and additional support from Crits Collaborations. Thanks to Dr. Dreamchip for our amazing theme song, and you can also check out all of their music on Spotify.